This podcast is a presentation of Sunset Presbyterian Church. For more information, log on to our website at www.sunsetpres.org. The running of the bulldogs? Surprising. What's not surprising? How much money Aaliyah saved by switching to Geico. I have arrived. 15 minutes could save you 15% or more. I have figured out a way to work a Geico commercial into a sermon. Took me 10 years, and the connection is loose. But it's there, and it'll give you a, an idea of how my mind works. We are, yeah, see, you liked it. My son and I love these commercials. Um, so the book we're going to cover today is called Surprise, Surprise the World. And so it'll kind of get it surprising. Yeah, okay. I couldn't, I couldn't even continue with my sermon until I wrote down that I was going to use the Geico commercials. But I really recommend that you check out this little book that Barb found. And it, it's about 100 pages long. It's called, uh, it's called Surprise the World, The Five Habits of Highly Missional People. And it is a really good book. 100 pages, and somebody bought it this morning during the service, not recommended, for like three bucks. It's three to five bucks, and it's well worth the read, a real easy read. I'm going to give you the Cliff Notes version, but, uh, or parts of it, with a few editorial comments that'll enrich the book itself. Uh, but I really would you, would, you would find it really helpful to check out that book. So, so mark it down for yourself. By the way, author is Michael Frost. So the question is, How do we surprise the world? How do we as Christians surprise the world with our faith? We've been talking about this for four weeks now in this series on sharing our faith without freaking out. And we've been trying to give you really practical ways to do this, and today will be no different. I will put a plug in for this is the last sermon of this series. And next week, we're going to take a complete right turn and go to the book of Judges. And uh, Barb will be preaching on Deborah on Mother's Day, so you really want to be here for that. But today, we're asking, how would it, what would it look like to surprise the world? Do we have any clues? And fortunately, we do. From both the pages of the Bible and from the pages of, of history, really, of what the early church looked like when it was surprising the world. So I'll start with the history lesson, and I'll make it really brief. In the early 300s, we have record of a fairly obscure Roman emperor named Julian who wrote about how the Christians were getting so many converts, so many people were curious and turning over to the faith that he was worried that the Roman Empire would be taken over by Christians. They were surprising the world. And what do you suppose they were doing? In his writings, he, they were giving all their money to poor people. That's about it. That was countercultural in the day. Nobody would dream of doing such a ridiculous thing as helping out the poor people. I was taught to be countercultural too when I was growing up. But the countercultural that I was taught was to make sure that I stayed away from movies and alcohol and dancing, things of that nature. As long as I did that, I would be countercultural. But there's a problem, and there's a difference between these two countercultural approaches. 
One caused people to become very curious about what was going on and actually had the effect of turning the world upside down. The other, well, it tended to repel people who didn't believe and drive them further away from the faith rather than causing them to be curious. And so I'm wondering, what does the Bible have to say about all of this? What does it look like to live lives for the, in, the, in the church of, of people who are just changing their world? Acts chapter 2, verses 42 to 47. It says, They, the believers in Jesus Christ, devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together, and they had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes, and they ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. I always find inspiration in those verses because that's what I want. Just once I want to be somewhere where I can get to see God adding daily to the people who are being saved. But there's a key point here that I should and could pray about that and try to mobilize and teach people to do that. But the power for doing that sort of work comes from where? Great preaching? Nope. Great programs? No, sir. Great leaders? Uh Uh-uh. The Lord added daily those who were being saved. It's His Spirit that must sweep through our congregation and our world if people are going to come to Christ. I find that somehow very comforting because it's not dependent upon my charisma, my argumentative ability, my persuasiveness, or anything else. It's dependent upon my faith in the, in the power of the Holy Spirit that moves people's hearts. But there was one other aha I had this, this time around from these verses. And this one I find elsewhere in Scripture as well. You see, the apostles are described as being doing wonders and signs, right? And if you went a verse earlier than what I just read to you, you'd find the Apostle Peter giving a wonderful, amazing, spirit-filled sermon in which 3,000 people come to faith in Jesus Christ. These people were gifted evangelists, boldly proclaiming the Word of God. But I noticed something in these verses. Not everybody did that sort of work. Or, more accurately, not everybody did it that way. The apostles boldly proclaimed the message of Jesus in front of crowds of people and performed miracles and signs. But the rest of the believers, well, look at what they did. I'll help you. They learned, they fellowshiped, they prayed, they gave to the poor, they ate together, they gave thanks, and they praised God. It's just not what I think of as the evangelistic program. Where's the banging on doors? 
Where's the tracks? No, they, they approached it a very different way. Paul says something similar in Colossians 4. He says, devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful. And pray for us too, that God may open a door for our message so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I am in chains. Proclaim, pray that I may proclaim it as clearly as I should. Be wise in the way you act towards outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversations be full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. And as I contemplated these verses in Colossians and in the book of Acts, I started to get an idea of why we as believers find this idea of sharing our faith so freaking us out. And that's because not all of us have the spiritual gift of evangelism. Some of us are gifted by the Holy Spirit in powerful ways that only God understands to boldly proclaim the gospel of truth. But I'm not going to let the rest of us off either. I'm not going to say that the rest of us just stand around and wait for those gifted people to do the work. What I am going to suggest, what I see in these verses, is that the way we do it, the how, is different. We all are called to share our faith. But what I see here is that apostles boldly proclaim, and those gifted to do so do that with the backing of the church. And the rest of us, well, the rest of us figure out a way to do that even without that spiritual gift. So the author of the book, Michael Frost, puts it this way. He says, The biblical model is for the church to identify, equip, and mobilize gifted evangelists and to inspire all other believers to live what he calls questionable lives. You've got to look at that one more than once. I'm not talking about going downtown after hours or something. Questionable lives for him is the type of lives that cause people to be curious, to ask questions, to invite safe conversations that can turn spiritual, to evangelize not as much by proclamation, but by prayer, by watchfulness, and by what he calls wise socializing. Good stuff. Makes you think, doesn't it? What might that look like? Well, I had a picture in my head of what that might look like, and it comes on the screen right now. <laughs> you can't possibly not ask a question about that if somebody was wearing it. I asked Rick Terletsky to come out on stage with it. He refused. So, see, my mind is goofy. But I'm serious. This has got to be one of the most, this little book has been one of the most intriguing and thought-provoking ideas about evangelism I think I've ever read. Because it turns it just a little bit to saying, what does it look like to evangelize through questionable lives, through surprising the world? So we're going to try to get really practical. I'm going to try to give you a crash course. He has five habits of highly missional people. I'm cutting one and doing four as quick as I can and then hoping you buy the book. All right? Not because I get a royalty. That'd be nice. 
on three bucks, what could the royalty be anyway, right? All right, so practical stuff. Michael Frost is the author of this book. Wait, first I've got to define highly what I mean by missional because it's a buzzword in Christianity and it's used in all kinds of different contexts. So here's what we're meaning by it. Missional is those people that announce and demonstrate the reign of God through Jesus Christ, period. Those who announce and demonstrate the reign of God through Jesus Christ. Okay, four habits. If you're the note-taker type, there's a blank page for you somewhere on the, on the bullet. Number one, I will bless three people every week, at least one of whom is not an attender of my church. I told you they're going to be really practical. I'll bless three people, one of which is not an attender of my church. What's a blessing? Just relieving somebody's burden, showing appreciation perhaps. The author of this book says there's three types of blessings. You might be able to think of more. He says words of affirmation, acts of kindness, and gifts. Pretty easy, right? Easy stuff. And I read those and I thought, fluff. This chapter is fluff. It's not real evangelism. But researchers studied short-term missions trips in Thailand that used two different strategies. I love this stuff. Data. Give me data. The blessing team went with the intention of helping people in whatever ways they could, praying like crazy and readying themselves for questions. The conversion team went and explicitly evangelized everybody they came into contact with. Who do you think ended up converting more people to faith in Jesus Christ? The answer is the blessing team by 50 times as many. Now, I don't know if that's because it was Thailand. I don't know if that would work everywhere. I'm not suggesting that there's not a place for direct conversion and proclamation. But what I'm saying is, is God can choose to bring people to himself in all sorts of ways. One of which clearly is just blessing people and praying like mad that they will ask you why or give you some sort of opportunity, perhaps even years down the road. A few, a few words of caution if you decide to pursue some of this and go after this idea of blessing people. Number one, we're not talking about random acts of kindness. Those are all the rage in our culture, and I'm good with that. But if your purpose is to pray for somebody and ask God for the opportunity to talk to them, they've got to kind of be in your sphere, not just somebody you buy coffee for behind you and never see again, right? So keep doing your random acts of kindness, but that doesn't count for one of your three. The other is that we must really be truly willing to bless people just for the sake of blessing them and leave the rest to God. And frankly, we've got to be true in our hearts about that one or you better not even start because people will sniff out blessing for the sake of conversion. We're called to bless the nations. It's okay if we choose to bless three people a week and nobody ever converts. That's God's business. We be faithful. Okay, number two. I will eat with three people each week, at least one of whom is not an attender of my church. I love this one. 
I'm going to take care of all of my church attender ones in one big church potluck. Let's check them all off at once. I'm just a big, big fan of food and drink and fellowship for the purpose of getting to know people and hopefully one day sharing faith journey with them. It's happened in my experience. And again, this could really seem like fluff if you think about it first. But then you stop and think about how Jesus did ministry. What did Jesus do all the time? He ate and he drank with people. So much so that he got in trouble for doing it with the wrong folks. But that was what his ministry looked like. Eating and drinking. Sharing life with people. Sharing his teachings with those who were around him. Some of you are aware that uh, my family now has this famous thing that happens on the first Friday of every month. I can brag about it because it was not my idea. It was my wife's. We serve deep-dish Chicago-style pizza to 30 to 50 people who come every week. About half of them are from Sunset. About half of them have nothing to do with Sunset and are just from the neighborhood. We've had probably, I don't know, 100 or more different people attend over the course of the maybe six years we've been doing it. It's an amazing time. We get together and we don't overtly evangelize or even necessarily talk about the Bible, but we share life together. We do birthdays and we cry when we need to and we support each other. And out of that, some have come to this church. Some have asked questions on the side. And some just keep coming and eating pizza. And that's okay too. For me, it's been the single most effective form of meeting new people that just aren't believers yet and having them come and say, asking me questions. And believe me, as a pastor, that's hard to get people to want to do because they think that's your job to answer them like that. I'm not saying you have to do a pizza night. Don't worry. You wouldn't have any chance of beating our pizza anyway. And so don't try to do a pizza night. Don't even try to do something big. We, we get it. Even as I'm talking about these things, I'm thinking, you've got a busy life. You can't add things to it. That's great. Don't you eat lunch already? Who are you eating with? What are you praying about before you eat with them? Because that's what we're talking about here. Not adding to your pile of things to do. All right, I got to keep going now or else I'm never going to get done. All right. So, oh, one other thing before I keep going. You, you really notice perhaps that I say three people, one of which is at least one of which is from your church. And I thought, why not all of them? Is, evangelism is outside the church, right? And then I thought, but that's really good strategy because who better to practice on by sharing our faith stories and sharing what God's doing in our lives than a friendly audience. You're a little, it's a little nerve-wracking to share with somebody who's not yet a believer. It can be a little difficult to figure out how to bring it up, and yet I notice that half the time I'm out with people eating and I don't say a word about my faith. I just eat and talk about the bears who are going to have a good season this year. How about using that time intentionally? To make sure that we're just practicing what it looks like, what it feels like to share our faith. Okay, number three. I will spend at least one period of time each week listening for the Spirit's voice. 
For those of you who have, been, who have the introverts in our crowd who've been dying as I've talked about the first two, here we go, here's one for you. Because this one drives me crazy. How could Michael Frost says sit for 20 minutes in silence to listen to the words of the Holy Spirit? I've never made it past three. Now, somebody at the first service offered me to take me. This is true. After I said I've never made it through three, he, after the service, said, well, Will, can I treat you to one of those tanks of sensory deprivation for 90 minutes? What is this guy, nuts? I haven't done it for three, and he's going to put me in there for 90 minutes? Anyway, the idea of taking some time to try to hear from the Holy Spirit It's critical to our evangelism. If you have not been changed by the power of the Holy Spirit in your life and recently, then you've got nothing to share. You've got nothing to to give to people. You've got to be sucking it in if you want to be able to give it out. And so, Frost says, 20 minutes. Here's how he puts it. A quieted heart is the best preparation for all this work of God. Meditation refocuses us from ourselves and the world so we reflect on God's word, his nature, his abilities, and his works. The goal is simply to permit the Holy Spirit to activate the life-giving word of God. So that's the third one. And then number four. I will spend at least one period of of time each week learning Christ. I thought the wording was a little odd. Learning about Christ? No, he says learning Christ. And he's making a really specific point here. He's saying if you want to be a follower of Jesus and one who's going to share the news about the coming kingdom of Jesus Christ, you better be totally immersed in the story of who he was, how he lived his life, what his teachings were about. How he would have thought and felt as best as we can figure from the readings of the Scripture. Frost is saying, you know, we read all kinds of Bible Scripture and they're all good and they're all important. But he's suggesting one time a week, in addition to whatever other reading you do, that you focus in directly on Jesus Christ and the story of his life. He says do it by reading a gospel once a week. Not necessarily the whole thing, although you probably could with some of them. Read a gospel one time every week. He even goes further and says, maybe every once in a while you mix it up with a scholarly book about Jesus that fills in some details from history or archaeology. And maybe even once in a while you watch a movie about the life of Jesus, not because they're always super accurate, but because they engage you, your senses in a different way so that you can picture what Jesus may have been like and how he might have acted. The whole idea here is to immerse yourself in the life of Jesus. He says, marinating our minds and our souls in the story of Jesus Christ. And I think that's really good advice. If we're going to be ready to share, oftentimes we think we better know all the answers. But really, we better know Jesus. Backwards and forwards. Because that's really what's gonna, what people are going to want to know. And so that's your fourth habit. To get the fifth, you might have to buy the book. 
So there they are, the five or the four habits of highly missional people. And I've been excited since I read the book, I think because of this reason. Because for the first time I look at them and I say, I could do that. Lots of times I read an evangelism book and I feel like I am a failure and could never live up to what they're talking about. These, I can do these and pray like mad that God would open up doors and that he would use me and that he will draw people to ask questions who he wants to have doing that. And I just, I hope some of you will take up that idea. And that the Spirit of Jesus, the Spirit of, of God will, will flow through this place. And wouldn't it be awesome if we said one day that God was adding daily to those who were being saved in our place? That's what I'm praying for, and I'd invite you to do the same. And it's all because we have this moment here where we're able to celebrate what do we have to offer people? In a world that's all screwed up and has all kinds of things going wrong, what do we have? The power of forgiveness, the power of mercy and grace. You know, guys, I, this week was not the greatest week for me, and I actually came here thinking yesterday that I probably shouldn't officiate. Some of you will probably understand where I'm coming from. When I say to you that there's a verse after the verses we normally read, we usually leave this one out, but it says, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and the blood of the Lord. When I was younger, that meant that you had to come to the table without any sinfulness and without any blemish. So we sat there trying to think of every possible sin so we could come to this table pure and without, without any need, really, uh, for what he's offering here. And I think we were totally wrong. Because this table is all about forgiveness. The fellowship we have here in the name of Jesus Christ is saying, Jesus says, I took this this bread, this is my body and I broke it for you because you needed that gift. Not because you were perfect. Not because you had it all together. Not because you didn't come in here with a weight on your shoulders. But because I loved you. And after that he took the cup and he said, this is my blood. This is the new covenant as often as you drink it, do this in remembrance of me. Because as you, every time you eat the bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the death of Jesus Christ until the day that he comes. And that's what we're going to do here today. I know that many of you have come in here with all sorts of burdens, difficulties, struggles, perhaps even things that you did that you're ashamed of in this place, as you sit here. But we want you to come. If you have faith in Jesus Christ, we want you to come to this table. Accept what he is giving you. Feed on Jesus Christ and his spiritual presence this morning. Hope that your heart has been filled, that you've worshipped and partaken in sacrament, and that you have been filled with the presence of Jesus Christ today. The benediction comes from Numbers chapter 6. You'll probably recognize this one. 
The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face toward you and give you his peace. God bless.